Hey everyone, welcome to episode 119 of Too Busy to Flush, the best podcast you'll ever hear with a married couple who doesn't, we don't have any pre-planned conversations, we don't have a producer, we don't have anything. So if this is your first time joining us, we, we have don't each know. other, darling. We yes. have each other. Yeah, if this is your first time joining us, we don't know where we're headed with the show. So I've included in the show notes, timestamps, and everything else, and roughly cover uh, the... There's generally a general topic, that, that a general theme throughout the show, and that's in the show title. So anyway, we have... I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And we have four kids, ages 12 through... Uh, four. Four, thank you. 11 through four. I... He'll be 12 Friday? Thursday. Thursday. It'll be 12 Thursday. Wow. Yep. I have um, now officially stopped if, like fudging kids' well, I am officially fudging for mm-hmm. kids' ages now because we're so close to that. Yesterday, somebody asked me how old my kids were, and I said, they're 12, 10, 8, and 4. They're actually 11, 10, 7, and 4, but we're so close to just getting that nice even 12, 10, 8, and 4. I just went for it with confidence. It's it's amazing to me how far behind Faith is everybody else. Because it was... She's three and a half years behind. But when crazy. you do the eight and four, yep. It, it sounds seems, like a long ways. It'll be yep. eight and five here soon. Well, in May. In May, yeah. Yeah, um, we for sure have a trailer and baby. Who, Elise and baby. Faith... Okay, so here's... You guys, I was going to... I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in the little bit of planning I did for this episode. It is Monday morning right now. We're recording because JR will be up at the ski area patrolling Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we're recording on a Monday morning. And I have my local Canavox group meeting tonight, which if you are local and you're interested in it, obviously you're not going to make it in time for the December one. But hit me up. You're welcome to come usually the first Monday of the month in my home we talk about things related to marriage and sexuality that was a rabbit trail the I I decided I have so much to do today we're doing a light school day we're cleaning and rather than be stressed out in prepping for my Canavox and in prepping for our homeschool co-op that I have stuff to prep for tomorrow and in getting the house tidied up to have people over I just decided we would do a super light school day and have a bit of a work day. And I also promised Elizabeth, our 10-year-old, that she could try making marshmallows for the first time to give as a Christmas slash farewell gift for her Audubon class, science class teachers tomorrow. So I knew I needed to work in time to make marshmallows. And I would like all of you out there to know that Homemade marshmallows are, if you have a stand mixer, are both easy and delicious. They are an entirely separate food category from what you buy in a store. And even, truthfully, the bags of the artisan ones that you can buy for like $8 for five or six marshmallows, they're still not fresh homemade marshmallows. They're just really expensive store-bought ones. And so I am going to have JR post a link for how to... Actually, that's not true. I have our blog open upstairs and the page wouldn't open because our internet is screwy. 
It is? I couldn't open the Wix page for writing a blog post. I do oh. a little bit of a different I've method been on the internet all morning. Haven't had any issues. for making marshmallows than the recipe that I follow, just because uh. I've done it enough. I haven't done it recently, but I've done it enough that I've changed my method a little bit. And so I will write up that blog post before JR posts the show notes, and he can include a link for how I make homemade mm -hmm. marshmallows to our own blog on there. But if you're looking for a Christmas treat to share with people that's a little bit different than the normal fudge and cookies thing, uh, try some homemade marshmallows. You can put... Uh, colored sprinkles on them. You can drizzle white chocolate or dark chocolate on them after you've cut them up and then put sprinkles on them if you want them to look festive. You can add mint flavoring to them if you want. You could sprinkle crushed candy canes on them. Just giving you ideas for how to give them a holiday twist. Or you can just do straight up marshmallows. <coughs> the only thing homemade marshmallows are not good for is roasting. They just melt off the stick and burn. So don't try to roast them. Not that it's marshmallow roasting season right now homemade marshmallows are just phenomenal like i can't really it's a whole like you said it's a whole different category a whole different thing and just so wonderful so, so anyway delicious. i where i was i started this rabbit trail mm -hmm. is after i finished making them it's imagine melted marshmallows and that's the consistency that they are when you're trying to get them from the bowl where you've whipped them into the pan where they will cool. And I summoned all four of the kids and let them each lick out part of it. Elise got the beater and she, as she was licking it off, it got all over her face and was so sticky. She actually had Beer, a, a marshmallow beard with chunks hanging down that then hardened into harder marshmallows coming off of her chin. Uh, JR th or Titus thought it was so funny. He took a picture. And anyway, they were all disgusting and sticky. So I let Faith and Elise take a bath together, which they are currently doing. And I, before I came downstairs, I ran into our bedroom and I heard Elise lecturing Faith on growing up. I think she was trying to get her to stick her face in the water in the bathtub. But she said... You are going to be in kindergarten next year. You need to be able to do this. And I thought, she's not. Holy cow. Our baby is going to be in kindergarten next year. Wow. Not that I don't actually do kindergarten for homeschool. So technically in whatever classes she's in at church and things, she'll be in kindergarten. But she's it won't really change much of what she does at home unless she wants to do something. But we, if we did the traditional school route, all four of our kids would be school age next fall. Isn't that wild? We've we've been in the baby and toddler stage for so long now. We will officially have exited it. I have no idea even what to do with my life now at this point. Just grow old. That, you just. Keep I feel like I feel like having do. a four year old in the house is keeping us young. No, it. And I wouldn't say it's keeping us young. <laughs> it's aging us prematurely. A lot of gray hairs coming in above my ears these days, like right here. Kind of hidden when I have a ponytail in. Super hot. But I'm old. I'm tired. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to go from there. So our, our so I'll give you a rabbit update, though. This is fun. Um, the rabbit now lives pretty much... It's been a little bit of an adjustment to figure out where to put the rabbit. It was in the garage for a while, and then we bring it in a little bit. And then Molly found a kennel to put in the house, and that didn't work in the living room. So that and the rabbit ended up in the schoolroom. 
Well, especially because when we brought our Christmas tree back from the cabin last week, we don't, we, and I'm saying this collectively, even though I don't take ownership for this, mm. we don't go small in our Christmas tree. We have a giant Christmas tree that's what, six feet well, across we, our, at least? Our living room has a loft and it opens up really, really high. So the kids like to be able to put the star on when they're not standing up in the loft. It's a 12 foot. It's a big tree. And we have a tree. very full living room. So that bumped the rabbit hutch well, into the yeah. schoolroom. And so then I've got some garage project that I've been working on on my days off to get that cleaned up so I can pull a truck in whenever it gets done at the repair shop. Um, and so I moved the kennel, the first kennel we got with the rabbit. I moved that outside on the back porch. Figured now the rabbit's got a little place on the back porch if we want to put it outside. So the rabbit pretty much lives full time inside. And the acclimation with the cats has been hilarious. Yeah, it's been really, really funny because the cats, um, the cats aren't going, the cats aren't going to have very much success trying to eat him, eat him. They want to, though. Their instincts <laughs> tell yeah. them we should eat him. So then they go over and start annoying him. And he's like, "Ooh, I want to hump you. He doesn't. He's not interested in defending himself or defending a monster. He's a, he's, he is. He, he wants to hump the cat. He he is interested in defending himself, <laughs> but he also is an an intact male. Apparently, <laughs> intact male's gonna intact male, and he's gonna find something that's approximately his size. And oh, the cats hate that. Oh, it's funny to have something that is supposed to be afraid of you. And that you are supposed to eat, turn around and chase you and try to climb on your backside. <laughs> and like mount you. The ultimate and dominate you. It, he he's never made it that far. It is the ultimate indignity, <laughs> I think, for a cat. All the cats get irritated. Okay, speaking of that, that actually leads into something that I've been thinking about this week. As I've watched the cats, I've if you follow us on Instagram, which I know a ton of you don't, which is totally fine. But I don't have a lot of outlets to share pictures like this because I put the kids to bed one night and it was maybe the first or second night that he'd been in the schoolroom. And our schoolroom has two doors on two sides of it and it's carpeted and then the boundary on either side is tile. And so he, he has basically decided that the carpeted area is his domain and that is the area within which he will chase the cats. And then they cross the tile and he just stands there and watches them go. And then he goes and lies down under the table or under the piano bench and chills out. So maybe the first or second night that he was in the schoolroom and I was letting him loose. But I also wanted to keep an eye on the cat situation. At one point, both of the cats were sitting kind of around corners where they could peek around the corner and watch the schoolroom prey situation as cats do and this picture of minerva our younger cat and her eyes are like saucers they are just so big and i think that was after round one of him chasing her out uh and she just sat around the corner just what is going on watching in there for more movement and luna sitting about four feet away from minerva on the other side around a different corner also staring in there and then she took a round in there and I took several rounds of video because the cats were taking turns going in there 
and batting at him or following him. And then he'd turn around and chase them out. And that was actually before we realized he was trying to hump them. We thought he was just trying to chase them. And maybe he was actually at that point. But I got to thinking that the the whole lie, the lion shall lie down with the lamb thing. You know, the cat shall lie down with the bunny <laughs> in the new heavens and the new earth. And how interesting it is that there is nothing inherently wrong with our cats wanting to eat that bunny because that is their instinct. We actually want our cats to kill prey. That's one of the big reasons. If you guys have listened have to us cats. for any, any length of time, our cats are basically vicious and awful killers. They're they're also incredibly tolerant, sweet pets, but they were both born as outdoor barn cats and they were taught to eat to kill and eat things by their moms from the time they were teeny tiny little things Mm -hmm. and they we live enough out in the country that we have a mouse problem and we encourage them in as so far as you can encourage we don't have to encourage them we give them the freedom to follow their instincts in Mm -hmm. other words we let them outside and they do their thing and during the summer months we get a dead rodent on our back doorstep several times a week in fact, one time the cats do enjoy finding, um, finding and eating small bunnies, and but they'll leave just the ears and the tail. They'll eat everything else, and they'll leave the and all you'll see is like this imprint of a bunny, but with just two ears and a tail and nothing but fur and some Which scraps. Which is so it's, weird. So nasty. Where do they? Where do? How do they digest it all? Anyway, I so I, there was no death or dying before the fall. What did cats eat before the fall? This is the this is the I know this is the question for the ages, but here we are. We were it's having a over hunting last. It's a episode. live question here in our house, though, because these cats seem to have embedded in their very DNA the instinct to kill and eat things such as smaller versions of our pet bunny, and yet. And we, we look at that and say we say that's that's the way the world works. That's a good thing, a service that our cats do. And our cats are following their design by, by cleaning up our house and our property and protecting us from varmints and our food supply that we keep in the garage. And yet, before the fall, this was not so. These cats who have pointy teeth that when you look at at a cat's skull and you say what is the design for this creature you say those teeth are for puncturing and tearing those teeth are not designed to eat grass those teeth are not designed to eat anything other than things that it kills Mm -hmm. and yet before the fall if there was no death or dying what did a cat for what did a cat use its teeth what if there was no death or dying for humanity, but for animals? Because you just you made the comment yesterday that Maui doesn't have a soul. He's sitting he on the have couch. A soul that will last, yeah. Sitting on the couch, trying to be human, just being a dork. Because like we laugh at our our dog, you guys. He sits on the couch like he's a person, and he just cracks us up because he sits kind of leans back against it as though he's reclining on the couch, and we always laugh that he's trying to be a person, and yet I'm. 
I often will, when we laugh at that, I will take the time to emphasize to our kids, we love our animals. We, in case you guys hadn't noticed, we are animal people. We love our animals. We treat them like, not quite like children, but we, life in the freezing household if you're a pet is good. Let's just say that. And yet, I want my kids to know, which is, for a variety of cultural reasons, our pets are not human. And there is something very unique about a human who was made in God's image. The imprint of God's image upon humanity makes us more special and more valuable. And that changes how we think about humans versus animals. It changes, you know, you look at somebody in New York City, or if you if you Google the average cost of owning a dog over its lifetime, it's astonishing how expensive dog ownership is for the average American. And yet you look at, you go to Guatemala or Mexico or India, and all dogs everywhere else in the world look the same. They're all so massively mm-hmm. crossbred because their breeding is not regulated at all. They all sort of end up looking, looking the, the same. same. Yeah. And if you live somewhere else, you can probably visualize this dog in your mind. Or if you've been traveled into a developing country, you can picture this dog in your mind. Those dogs live. Laura Ingalls Wilder, they had a pet bulldog, which is fascinating to me. I doubt they were feeding him dog food or spending a lot of their limited resources feeding him. He somehow survived. They understood if your family has limited resources, you spend those limited resources on humans because humans are special compared to the animals. They also understood. And I think so one thing that I want my kids to understand is is what how you treat an animal medically is a lot different than how you treat a human medically. So when our dog Callie that I had well before Jair and I met and got married, she died. It was after we moved into this house. It was after we moved into this house. I can't remember. Was I pregnant with Faith when she died? Or was Faith a baby? I think I was pregnant with Faith when Maui died. No, you mean Migo. Migo. When Migo, our old black lab, who I also had before Jair and I got married. I was patrolling, I think. No, you weren't patrolling. You were going up for an awesome day of skiing with Miko. Oh, that's right. And you hit the roundabout in Red Lodge, and I texted you. <laughs> I He can't get up. He's lying yeah. in the morning. we just got Maui, and Maui was laying there with him. Yeah. Um. So anyway, with Miko, it was very clear. There were no life-saving measures that could be taken. And then I think it was about a year later that Callie very clearly had a brain bleed, her her eye was filling with blood and if you had a human with a brain bleed you would be doing surgery you would be doing emergency services you would be doing all these things with a 14 year old dog you say now is the time to humanely uh let her pass we're not we don't we want to alleviate as much of her suffering as we can but but you don't do extreme life saving. Okay, this is my personal opinion on pet ownership, and I'm sure there are probably people out there who have different opinions in both extremes. But but we personally do not do extreme life saving measures on our pets because they are not made in God's image. They have different value. We have some friends a couple years ago who had guinea pigs. And I don't know if you'll remember this story, JR, but they had a single gal living with them 
and her dog got into the guinea pig cage. And oh, it was a horrible, tra- traumatic, bloody mess. Gory mess. By the time they got home. And they had two young girls who were a little bit older than Titus and Lily. And so I just spitballing, I'm going to guess at that time they were maybe, what, 10 and 8, 10 and 7, mm-hmm. maybe 9 and 6, something along those lines. And... The guinea pigs lived in the older daughter's bedroom. And this dog made a gory mess of the bedroom. And the parents, I thought, just did such an incredible job of helping their girls grieve these animals that they loved and that God had given them to care for. And so we have stewardship responsibilities for the pets that are in our care. And yet they said, we will not take this out on our friend because she and our love for her and our friendship for her is worth more than any animal. And they did such a good job of, of teaching their daughters through that and of modeling that to their daughters that within days we could hear their daughters talk about it without anger and bitterness in their hearts towards the friend or even the friend's dog. And I, I, you know that's just an example of how how important it is to separate the value of a human being who is made in God's image from the value of any of the other creatures which is just basic genesis 1 and 2 lived out uh but yeah i do tell my kids maui has a great personality he's funny we could we can even call him a friend but he is not a human. And so when we look at him and we laugh at him, like he's acting like he's trying to be a person. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways he thinks of himself as a person, especially when you're gone and he sleeps with his head on your pillow. <laughs> uh, he is not a person. God did not put a soul in him as the children's catechism that we've used with our kids to a small extent says, you have a soul that will last forever. And whatever you want to believe or tell kids about heaven and animals, these animals do not have souls that will last forever because they're not made in God's image. And that changes how we, how we look at them and especially whether we're going to elevate them and our relationship with them over the value we give to people and our relationship with, a pe- with other people. And of course that goes into like the obvious things too. Like we, our general culture values eagle eggs more than it values babies in the womb. Uh, Just a real easy gimme example there. But I think more to wit in our culture, there are so many people, single people, and I'm not picking on single people who have dogs because I was a single person for much of my 20s who lived alone with my two dogs. And they're a great form of companionship. They're a great form of protection. And they do. They're a beautiful gift of God to you. I'm not slamming at all having pets and loving them and valuing them as a single person. But you have to keep in your mind the distinction between a relationship with an animal and a relationship with a fellow image bearer. But if you believe that we're all just evolved from monkeys, then you're not probably not going to have that particular. Right. And, And there's just such a tremendous trickle down for that in our society. Mm hmm. And there, it's the funny, silly stuff like, oh my goodness, you just spent hundreds of dollars on X, Y, or Z for your animal, 
and the gasping and the laughing at the person who seems ridiculous or the person who who was that famous artist who left their inheritance to their cat oh, i don't know and there was a famous artist who left the huge estate to their cat right that's that's laughable but but then there's very very real ways when you look at how much our society has <clears throat> devalued the human person the way we elevate animals above the human person is is a symptom and a problem as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yes. Yeah. I I had two totally divergent thoughts going off of that and I'm trying to decide which of them to follow. <laughs> I'm gonna take a sip of tea. Maybe I can do both. What kind of tea are you drinking? This is natural grocer's fireberry tea. Is it's it just any good? It is. It's very fruity. It's different than the blueberry wild child, which I've decided is a summer iced tea drink. Hmm. This is more, it's good hot. It's got hibiscus and rose hips and a bunch of other stuff. I'm just drinking leftover throat coat from when I was trying to uh, read audiobooks for a living. Um, okay. Speaking of audiobooks, I'm going to, I'm going to do a both and segue here. Um, I started listening to on audio, just on a YouTube, I did a search for C.S. Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, mm-hmm. and J.R. You'll have to you'll have to refresh me on how this book came, came in, up, because I could, I, <sighs> you guys, life. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Life. Uh, J.R. downloaded it on Kindle and was going to try to read it while he's living out of the van patrolling and not spending nights surrounded in a by a circus uh carl truman wrote an article about david french a couple of weeks ago that's right we posted that on our blog we did post it a link to the uh, article i can't remember the entire context of the article except essentially to say he truman believes that that the fault lines in American evangelicalism, specifically American Christianity, I think could be said fairly, are shifting in a way that that the fault lines a generation or two ago were based on your beliefs. Do you believe that... Uh, you know, Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe X, Y, or Z? And you could very clearly distinguish a, a an Orthodox Christian, if you will, based on those beliefs. And cutting through that was, this goes back to the winsome conversation that we've had about people like Tim Keller for years, or, you know, for over the last few months. And cutting through that were the winsome versus not winsome categories. All right, you, Pete. Yeah. Listener Pete. Uh, He's big on this. The winsomeness. And and Truman believes that the fault line now kind of lies in the people, or is becoming clear, in the people, the winsome people who were convinced that you could be... I don't want to say this in a way that slams people, but there was a category of people who said 
that you could communicate Christian truths in a more winsome way that would win over skeptics. So Tim Keller and then David French also fell in that category. Now, there's there's a division now happening amongst the winsome category where some people are sliding down the slippery slope, if you will. This is actually way more my interpretation of Truman than what Truman actually said. Mm-hmm. But people, there are some people who are sliding down the slippery slope onto the, you know what, it doesn't matter what I say, the world around me is not going to hear real Christian truth in a way that that is going to be palatable to them. So meh, here I am. On the other side are people like David French, whom you and I heard speak back when Elise was a baby. So in mm-hmm. 2016, 2015, and he was phenomenal. And I started following him then. And I've been scratching my head and, and a little bit baffled. And apparently I'm not the only one because he seeps, he keeps coming up as a lightning rod for conversations like this. And what Truman was writing about was French has gone all in on endorsing the Respect for Marriage Act that has been a live issue in the House and the Senate for the last couple of weeks, if you're following that round of current events. And French is basically like, you know what, this is the law of the land, we go with it. And also, like, it doesn't do any good to attack people who who are have a same-sex marriage. Let's just accept it and be nice to them. And you're like, whoa, whoa, that's... To me, that doesn't sound like the same David French that I heard speak in 2015. And Truman kind of parses some of that out in his in this article. And all of that is a very long segue about the Truman article that JR can post because I don't I haven't read it. It's already it's already on. It's already up there. If you look at our blog, it'll be you'll see it. So I I haven't reviewed it recently enough to feel like I'm giving it a fair treatment. But the very end, he just has this kind of throwaway comment about the abolition of man and that that in our culture, this is happening right now. And I was like, whoa, I've never read that book by C.S. Lewis. I think I need to put that book up. And so I did a search and I didn't order the book, but I found a guy reading it aloud on YouTube and I started listening to it and I maybe listened to about half an hour of it one evening. And that's as far as I've made it into it. But he, he basically is talking about what, how did, I'm having trouble feeling coherent right now. The, the destruction of mankind, abolition, right, is getting rid of the destruction of mankind. And Lewis starts his piece by talking about primary school education. And he picks apart a grant. He was an English professor, right? He picks apart a grammar book that he had been sent. And the way that these authors are supposedly teaching grammar in the English language, he shows how they are undermining the very concept of tr- of objective truth and meaning just by teaching primary school kids supposedly how to think about the English language. And that's as far as I've made it in the book. But I the reason it popped into my mind is I'm thinking about living in a culture that by and large values animals over people who are made in God's image, the 
I expect from my reading of The Abolition of Man, and I know for a fact that there are smart people out there listening to this who have read the book and know it well and can give me firmer answers than what I'm positing here. But I suspect that whatever strain of thought that Lewis follows in discussing the abolition of man, I will see it as part of this world that has just fundamentally devalued what it means to be a human person with inherent value and dignity because you were made in the image of God. And so... I am basically doing a mental reminder to myself and throwing it out there to other people to remind me to read or listen to The Abolition of Man. Yeah. In I, my spare time. It's some of the themes are just that I've I've experienced over the years are just so prominent and obvious now to me. But um Brian Godawa, screenwriter and author Brian Godawa had a series of a fictional series of books based primarily on um both biblical uh, sources as well as Midrash and the works of Josephus about early, some of our early biblical characters. And he fictionalized some th- stuff and, and a lot of it's, um, a lot of it comes from those historical sources, a lot of the, the references. And so it's really, really interesting to read. And I've gone back and read um, some Josephus and some other authors, or some other works there from that time period. And one of the major, in any way, one of the major themes, you know, he's discussing is especially around the time of the Nephilim when, and the, and the watchers, when, uh, the demons who were cast out, you know, took up residence here on earth and started cohabitating with humans and all the things that scripture does talk about, but doesn't go into any detail on, but the overriding theme was the fact that, um, Satan can't win knows he can't win so all he's left with is the ability to mar and destroy the image of god as much as possible Mm -hmm. you know how can i desecrate your uh what you've created in your likeness in your image if i can't beat you i'm going to ruin you and so kind of that you know if you if you do something if you build or make something wonderful and somebody's like yeah, I'm going to pee on it instead. You know, it's like, yeah, wow. You know, and I, it's so that kind of theme that doesn't, none of that surprises me in today's culture. I mean, we get, we talk about gender dysphoria, you know, you heard, you've heard people talk about the mutilation of the body when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, excessive subjective, excessive piercing and tattoos type of thing. You know, like I'm going to be a cat, so I'm going to embed beads all over my forehead and, you know, become a lizard instead or something like that. You know, I mean, you've got all these random little things that like God made male and female, uh, but we're going to, you know, Satan's going to do everything he can to screw that up and pervert that and just ruin that image. Okay. That actually totally segues into what I intended to have as the final thought about the cats and bunnies mm-hmm. conversation, <laughs> which is so, so cats have this instinct to kill, right? And 95% of the time, you know, they kill a bunny, they leave the ears and the tail and they eat the rest. They kill a mouse and they eat it shockingly fast. When we are up the cabin over Thanksgiving, we were having a conversation with our friend Marshall or at least my dad was, I don't know if you were in on that conversation, about wolves and how scary wolves are 
because they kill for fun. They don't kill for a purpose. They seem to delight in destruction for destruction's sake. And I think with there are probably people out there who love wolves. Oh, probably no, there are. I mean, out listening to us. From a lives in Montana where a species of wolf that was not native to this part of our country was reintroduced when I was maybe in middle school to Yellowstone. These wolves are bigger and genetically different than the wolves that disappeared several generations ago from Yellowstone. And, For a reason. And so what what they've done in believing that we need to reintroduce wolves to the ecosystem is they've brought in animals that delight in destruction. And I don't think it's it's a coincidence that what what does Jesus talk about infiltrating his flock and being delighting in the destruction of his precious people? It's wolves. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is protecting his people from wolves who aren't coming in with who are coming in with no other purpose than to delight in destruction. My dad was telling a story about somebody that he, I, I don't think it was somebody that he knew, but it was a, he, he knew somebody who knew somebody who had been being on a, was in a vehicle and was being followed by a pack of wolves or something and shot one of the wolves. And the pack went from following their, their prey, the mark that they were chasing down they just turned and ate their own. They literally smelled blood and did just their instinct drove them to eat a fellow pack member who was wounded. That's the sort of, for lack of a better word, to impart a human soul language to wolves. That's the sort of depraved mindset that wolves have. And I think that's how we need to think about wolves when we think about wolves amongst the sheep in churches and in human society in general. And you were talking about ways that people are destroying the image of God in humanity. And I don't know how much you, we haven't discussed this at all, but have you followed the Balenciaga thing Not at all? I haven't heard of it. Okay. Balenciaga, I'm, I'm low class and had never heard of them until now. Balenciaga is this very expensive fashion company, like thousands upon thousands of dollars for a bag or a pair of shoes, high fashion, it seems now, <laughs> oh, the world, you, you know, you sent me that meme about conspiracy theories and that there aren't any left because they've all come true. <laughs> so so Balenciaga, one of their main designers also runs a charity for the Ukraine, like funneling money to help the Ukraine with the war. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what is going on here? Like now we've got the, the FTX guy in Ukraine and... Balenciaga. Anyway, Balenciaga, I'm sure most people out here have heard of this, but I will explain this to you, JR. Balenciaga launched this ad campaign, and it was children holding stuffed animals in BDSM gear and in very inappropriate positions and with very inappropriate things children 
if you were to look at these these images, you would think these children are being are actively being sexually abused. That is the that and that was the outcry was holy cow, whose kids are these? What images are you? And then they started going digging and Balenciaga was like, oh whoops. Oh, we didn't really realize that you guys would find this to be offensive. So they pulled that ad campaign and then they put up another ad campaign instead that included uh, books that people who had access to find out just sitting on a desk. It's this woman with her feet up on a desk in high fashion clothing. And there's a stack of books on the desk that are horrific about abusing, fantasizing about abusing um one of the authors in the book, I can't remember all the exact details, but but there are links to images of, like, children with their limbs torn off, bleeding, and then adults, like, eating the blood. Like This, this all fits this is with horrible. QAnon elite conspiracies. It's absolutely horrible images. And then, you know, they just, you if you zoom in on this woman with her feet on the desk, besides the stack of books, sticking out of a drawer is a piece of paper that if you zoom in is a Supreme Court case that basically ruled in favor of child pornography and, or the, you know, as a freedom of speech thing. So things like this, this so they pulled this horrific campaign with children in abusive situations and replaced it with books it's not an accident. They had to print the Supreme Court case off in order to put it in this thing. Anyway, the I in order to protect my own mind, I didn't read all the things on this ad campaign. This is just stuff that came through my newsfeed. Mm, I'm looking up stuff right now. But but the thing that as I'm thinking about the the image of God and the wolves and the sheep and the idea that that the lion will lie down with the lamb in the new heavens and the new earth means that the lambs are no longer in danger. And it means that the, the fundamental nature of something like a lion, which is basically a big house cat, right? So now we're back to talking about our cats and our rabbit. Uh, the lion will lie down with the lamb. The house cat will lie down with the rabbit and will no longer have a desire in it to destroy the innocent thing, to shed its blood. And they're also, I'm not saying this in a literal sense, that there will be no wolves in heaven. There will be no predatory uh, beings who delight in evil for the sake of evil. And at the heart of that evil is what you were saying with the Gadawa books and things like that. The delighting in in destroying what God delights in. I mean, that's at the heart of, of what Satan is trying to do, right? God says it's good and Satan says, that's my target then. And children are innocent, I mean, not innocent in an ontological sense, mm. right? But innocent in terms of they are vulnerable and it is our job as adults to protect them, their minds and their bodies as much as possible and to raise them into uh, warriors who will then view it as their mandate to now protect the next generation and other vulnerable, weak orphans and widows, uh, members of society. And, And Satan has his target on them. 
because they're vulnerable image bearers. And that is, it's, it's the ultimate to me, just disgusting form of evil because it's delighting in evil just for the sake. I, I can't imagine as I think about these images and the people who are doing this and the fact that it's, I mean, one of the big outcries has been, you know, Kanye, who <laughs> ye, you know, he's, he's certifiably nuts at this point, or he's being mind controlled or whatever, uh, you know, controlled. and, and <laughs> by praying metal, praying mantises, uh, alien species. I, there's so much outcry and, you know, he makes these legit terrible remarks about Nazis being good and he loses billions of dollars worth of contracts and deals at the drop of a pin. And here are these people who don't even feel like they need to apologize for this, these horrific images that are out there in the world and they just keep going and there's no financial consequences. This is evil out in the open, delighting in evil for the sake of evil. And it is, I, 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 I don't have words for how horrific your mind has to, how far gone your mind has to be to delight in that sort of evil with seemingly no purpose other than the fact that it's evil. And you're, you're, you, you just, you start delighting in evil and just terrific evil. I mean, evil that to me is incomprehensible and, and yet it's not incomprehensible to God and it's not beyond what God has the power to crush. Um, and I'm really grateful that it's not got beyond what God has the power to crush because it's overwhelming to me. Yeah. Because we both pause to take a sip of tea and evil. I'm out of tea, which means you should probably shut down the show so I can get some more. Yeah. Um, I just had one final thing that we can end on kind of a happy note instead of evil, <laughs> evil, evil. Um, I, I've had several conversations with friends or observed friends in recent days who just seem overwhelmed by not evil, but the hardness of this world and, um, money struggles, uh, struggles with spouses, money struggles that are complicating marriage, marriages, which that happens. It's not hard to imagine that, uh, just not being on the same page, uh, people who, for whom Christmas is a struggle for whatever reason, because it's overwhelming, because it's financially taxing, because it reminds you of loss, because it reminds you of, uh, just puts you face to face with forms of brokenness that you can avoid for other parts of the season. And, I think that there's a tendency to uh, feel guilty for not doing enough or being good enough during this season because of all the expectations as well as just the overwhelmingness. And uh, I just, I'm thinking of a couple friends specifically that I need to say this to in person or over text, but I just think maybe there's other people out there who need to hear this that, um, 
you don't have to uh, do it all or have it all get better or do it all perfectly in a moment of hardness in order to see God's grace at work and in order to know that you're being faithful. On days when you're just done with your kids, faithfulness might look like just taking a breath and saying, okay, whatever's on my agenda, I pause and I, I show kindness to my kids instead of getting stuff done. Uh, it might look like one act of how can I bless my spouse today instead of putting more of a burden on them? How do I show show grace to them by overlooking something? How do I actively move into their world and bless them? today. Just one act is an act of faithfulness and it is an act of faith of trusting God that here's something that I'm giving to you, that I'm doing service in your name, that I'm leaning into your grace to do that for you. And you don't have to do all of it in order to still know that you are being faithful and living in the grace of the Lord in a moment. And you don't have to overcome all of the evil in the world because he has overcome all of the evil in the world and he will crush it in his time. But the you you do get to learn to be faithful with whatever residuals of that evil are living in your own heart and in your own home and just do one little chip away at one little bit of that at a time. All right, I must not be very plugged into anything because I don't have any encouragement for the guys that listen to our show. It's the same. I mean, it's it's both spouses, right? It's the same. It's yeah. the same encouragement. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I so many. It's been so hard recently trying to get together to build any sort of relationships with anyone. And I read a report. It was a report that came out. Really interesting report that came out. Um, I'll reference it at some point somewhere about how. Um, the year that smartphones crossed over like 60% of the marketplace, there was a just a exponential loss in physical time spent with people in person. And, you know, I think it was talking about the loneliness epidemic or something like that. The, but it was, um, <clears throat> I'll have to dig it up. It was a really fascinating piece. Anyway, um, all those little things are interesting. So anyway, yeah, that's a good word, Molly. Thank you. Mm. Um, if you guys are interested, I have, uh, we do have, uh, people are weird and hard stickers are in stock and shipping. Those of you that pre-ordered or have ordered in the last week, will be, uh, we'll be getting, um, we'll be sending those out today. Um, I've got, I'm staring at, um, envelopes on my desk as we speak. High quality two inch by two inch sticker it just simply says people are weird and hard right up there and ready to go for your coffee mug, your water cup, your water bottle, or whatever you want to put it on, your laptop, whatever. Um, you can get those on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. And while you're there, you can also order a People Are Weird and Hard mug or even um, a Too Busy to Flush t-shirt if you wanted to do that. Um, Anything we reference, most of the things we referenced in the uh, show will be included in our, in our show notes with timestamps and topics we discussed at those particular points of time. If you want to go back and check something out, um, don't forget to subscribe to our email newsletter. We'll be uh, sending out occasional 
emails and blog posts kind of uh, covering recaps of what's been happening in our various worlds, the stuff we've been promoting, the stuff we've been um, sharing and uh, talking about. And then uh, if you want, you can join the conversation on an ongoing basis on our Telegram channel. I'll include the link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Other than that, I don't think I have anything else housekeeping wise. Do you have anything? Uh, Consider making savory popcorn if you have to throw together a quick treat Mm. to bring to a Christmas party or something. I'll throw up a recipe with a marshmallow recipe on our blog. I did a Parmesan herb butter popcorn last night for a Christmas party that I realized at the last minute I needed a treat for, and it was a great hit. So, and our kids liked it too. So nice, love it. Okay, guys. That said, we'll um, hopefully see you next week. Next week. <laughs>